This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manici. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, I said it before, I'll say it again. Speaking of the union, we have a union member joining us. Folks, get the horns ready, get the, get the fanfare ready. <laughs> There we go. Back again. This is this is the third, excuse me, the fourth pick. But Marissa Buxbaum, you have joined us for what I believe now is three, six, nine, eleven. This will be your twelfth episode. This is an even dozen episodes. You're, you are catching up. You're getting into Gavin territory. Uh, I, I, I'd say I can't believe I have had that much to say and talked that much, but I do. <laughs> well, let's go through your previous picks. You had uh, back in 2020 was fastball, all the pain money can buy. After that, 2021, Alabama threes exile on Cold Harbor Lane. And then last year was vast the visual audio sensory theater album self-titled i guess but then you've also joined us for a bunch of roundtables. you were here for the for the muse in the 90s episode the nirvana 500 episode how you been you've been good i've been good um i'm exhausted and overworked as i told you but no complaints good better to be overworked than I don't know. I don't know. There's no, I have no answer. Underworked. Underworked. I guess. After the pandemic. Yeah. I'm actually inclined to agree with you. Okay. Yep. There you go. So let's cut to the, the, the chase here. Share with our audience your album pick for 2023. Um, I was stunned that it hadn't been covered already by both of you lovely gentlemen um, and hadn't been picked by somebody else, but I scrolled through the entire back catalog of dig me out episodes and lo and behold, my favorite wigs album was not there. So I picked 1965. 1965. Yeah, this, this is one of those glaring emissions by us. There, there's actually quite a few of them of like, mm -hmm. I think bands and records that Tim and I both spent a lot of time with um that we just haven't got to yet so i was excited when i saw it come up on the schedule yeah anybody who listens to this podcast should be well aware that we're fans of the afghan wigs i actually no joke when you suggested this i was you like okay well no i didn't do i didn't have to double check but like when i got into this week of like okay i need to start listening i actually didn't listen at first i was just like what do i remember because yeah. I'm pretty sure I remember every single moment of this record because I listened to it so much. Like yeah. I remember little things that he whispers into the microphone into like, you know, a left channel that's very faint. Or I remember like, doesn't there, there's a weird time change in that one song. And then there, this happens here. And I was just trying to remember like all the little moments that are what 
you know, always bring me back to, to listening to this. Um, we have talked about the wigs very briefly. I'll mention episode 170. We reviewed the new album when it came out, Due to the Beast, which you can go into our archives, which are always free. You just go to the internet and uh, find our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, and you can, you can listen to every single episode we've done of our 650-some-odd episodes. So we covered, you know, a lot. Actually, when we did that episode, Lee Heidel, who was the uh, guy who ran summerskiss.com, which was the long-running Greg Dooley compendium of uh, wigs, Twilight Singers, Gutter Twins, and any, like, solo material was all captured on that website. I don't know. Yeah, it's not, I don't it's know not that up it's anymore. still active, no, but this it's site definitely has been still disabled. up. Yeah. Oh, it's been disabled. Oh, shit. Yeah, I just clicked the link. That's awful. That's a that's a great loss for um yeah the the fandom, and of course the wigs just had a new record out, so it seems like a, a good time to talk about the band. Now I believe your entry into the uh, the world of Greg Dooley actually started with the Twilight Singers, right, Marissa? That's correct. Yeah, I came at the entire catalog in reverse. The Twilight Singers are my first love. And uh, as my friend Karen is is fond of reminding me, um, when I was in line for the Twilight Singers show, this was in 2011, I guess, uh, May, May of 2011, um, I was a little bit equivocating on my feelings about the Afghan wigs at that time. <laughs> it, it, they, they, they grew on me. They had to grow on me. Right. Well, it also would depend on where your entry point is with the wigs. Because if you started with like up in it, it's going to be a much different experience than starting with 1965. Do you remember what you did? Did you go backwards, forwards or forwards, backwards? What was your entry point? Well, I, I believe I went with uh, gentlemen as an entry point simply okay. because it is widely regarded as the Afghan wigs magnum opus. And it it was not an instantaneous um attraction for me the way it was with, I mean for, for me when I heard powder burns the earth moved and it it took me a few listens to gentlemen and uh I, I think it was 1965 was the wigs album that was my gateway drug so got it um I I mean it it in it, it makes no sense in a way because Black Love is the American crime filler quadrophenia, and I love nothing more than The Who and uh, bad guys doing bad stuff. So, like, that should be my number one Wigs record, and it mm -hmm. is number two, but 1965 edges it out by just a hair. Uh, I don't want to rank records right now. We can do that. We'll put it at the end. Later. But I was interested in looking at the comments of Patreon when we posted this episode for the preview over at, at our Patreon, and we put up our Worthy Album, Better EP, Decent Single poll. A lot of people said this was their favorite Wigs record, which I was, I was not expecting. Yeah, I was really surprised to read that as well, because I, I feel like the number one Wigs album amongst really diehard Wigs fans is Black Love. Yes. Although we did encounter, I don't know if you remember this, Jay, we played with a band called Chalk from Cincinnati when we were in a band. And I remember standing there talking to one of the members of the band because they were from Cincinnati. I started talking about the wigs and he was like, yeah, I kind of more into the earlier stuff. I don't yeah. really like 1965. 
And I was like, oh, so you mean like gentlemen? He's like, no, I like like congregation <laughs> right, up in it. Right, right, I'm like, right. okay. Yeah. They're, they're, I remember more than one person, I think, finding factions within this fan base, let's just say, of like right. the old school kind of noisier version of the band. There was people that really gravitated to that and then hated sort of this direction where they ended up evolving to but the, out right. there there's got to be like a big top halloween truther somewhere <laughs> we have to find that person oh i'm sure there is oh no there's someone who only listens to the juggalo cassette or whatever that's not whatever not juggalo uh jug <laughs> what is the name of that demo cassette that they started with it's it's got jug in the in the title but it was big top halloween as a demo before it even came out i think it's like a billion Jugula. dollars yeah there you go so let's let's read some comments over from our Patreon. Darren Lehman said, I'm relatively new to the wigs compared to most. The first album I dug into start to finish was Gentlemen. But when I discovered 1965, I had a new round respect, newfound respect for the band. I still alternate between the two for which I like better. But 1965 takes the wigs to a whole new level. Love, love, love this album. It's refreshing and a welcome addition to alternative rock. David Gorgo said, just a glorious album. Jim Copany, Tank Boy, when it was released, the turn towards R&B-tinged harder rock took some by surprise following Gentlemen, but holy heck, does this album cook. Cal Bittner, with its excellent blend of R&B and rock, this album has swagger to spare and is the wigs at their sexiest. We're the album all the way. Not many times has an album been described as the sexiest album on this podcast. I don't think you and I, Jay, have ever called an album <laughs> the sexiest album in a discography. Uh, Unless we, we, we can do some Sade. <laughs> we don't cover much sexy music from the 90s. Was there any? No. No, I think people were afraid. Yeah. No, there was too much navel gazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Hooper said, Cincinnati's Finest made a trio of record in the 90s that were as good as any of their peers. 1965, as mentioned in early comments, found the band moving towards a more R&B sound with terrific results. Just the same. It's just a shame the band didn't make it into the 2000s. Um, Carl said, it rocks, it swings. It's such a re-listenable album. Hell Phillips said, this is the best Afghan Wigs album and one of the best albums. He's right. Gavin says, awesome album and a different sound for the band and the times. True, definitely. Whitney Beeler said, I'm not a great Afghan Wigs mind, but I know enough to know the first half of this album is terrific. Something hot and crazy are complete fire. This album sounds great. It's all very tuneful and groovy. I'm not a big fan of the backing vocals. It tries to tries too hard to be all sexy. There's that word again. But that's secondary to a strong set of songs and performances. Andrew O.C., I like some wig songs before he, I liked some wig songs before hearing 1965, but this one is where my Afghan wigs addiction truly started. Of course, the entire discography is discography is pretty spectacular, but 1965 is the monument. Again, I was not expecting this level of adoration from our comments. Usually it's like we get like three comments or we get split comments. This was this was kind of a shocker. Um, Vadim Tavor, my absolute favorite Afghan Wigs album with Black Love close behind. This to me is where Dooley and company really figured out how to combine soul music with dark and sad rock jams while staying true to this to the wig sound. It's all 
It's all around everything I'd ever want to hear from the band in one album. We're the album, no question. Uh, Willie Dillon, although I'm not the biggest Afghan Wigs fan in the world, this is my favorite album of theirs and highly worthy of being a worthy album. Ian McIver, our resident electronic music expert. Let's see what he has to say. I have never listened to the Afghan Wigs before, despite the high praise of the band in the DMO community. I enjoyed the album, but found it a bit lacking, mostly due to the hype of the group, also likely is my own musical preferences and tastes. A second listen gave it a bit more clarity, and this is a solid album, though a couple of tracks I'm not totally sold on. For rating, I'm stuck in that difficult area between Worthy Album and Better EP. However, I'm sure after listening to the episode, Marissa will bump the needle to a Worthy Album with her infectious passion for one of her favorite bands. So that is how I will vote, vote in the poll. That said, right. this will be an album that will sit on the digital shelf for a few years and something that will come through come up through DMO to remind me to give another playthrough. And I'll think this is an enjoyable album before repeating the cycle. So there you go. People are awaiting your infectious uh, praise. So wow. we should not, uh, well, we should delay a little bit, but we should uh, get in actually talking about this record. We, uh, I know we already talked about the wigs, but this came out in October of 1998, October 27th to be exact. It was mainly recorded in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was released on Columbia Records. Um, for comparison, the previous album in 1996, Black Love, was on Elektra. And that was recorded primarily in Washington at a couple different studios. Um, different drummers. This, this is the third album in a row with a different drummer. So there were some lineup changes. Um, and the for uh, trivia's sake, on the cover is astronaut Ed, Ed White. White. Yes, he was doing a spacewalk as a part of the Gemini Four flight from June of 1965. The name of the title of the album, I believe, aren't Dooley and and Curly both uh, children of 1965? They were both born in 1965 as well, which is where the album title comes from. Um. Yeah, so, uh, oh, and then the last uh, little bit of notes here. Some of these songs were made it into movies. One was Something Hot was used in American Pie 2. And uh, the song 66 was used in the movie She's All That with Rachel Lee Cook. Pivotal scene. Uh, go to YouTube and watch it. <laughs> because, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I, I probably was in the theater when we saw that. And we we're like, right. oh, my gosh, it's an Afghan wig song. Like, you never heard the Afghan wigs in, like, movies or TV well, shows. or Unless you saw the movie Beautiful Girls. Well, Beautiful Girl. But that was, like, an indie <laughs> film. Like, I yeah. in like I saw films. that in a theater, though. I, I did, too. That, that movie was mind-blowing for two reasons. One, I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm like, is that the Afghan wigs? Like, what is going Oh, my God. And then the second one, they they end on a, um, a Satchel song, mm -hmm. and I had only known um, Sean Smith's vocal from um, Brad, so right. my mind was bending because I'm like, I know that voice, but I don't know this song. I think that's how I found Satchel is because I looked up the credits on that. I was like, oh wow, this dude has another band, right? So I do want to point out. Um, Alex Chilton of Big Star appears on this record, but because of the way that they do the liner notes, 
it's not specific. Marissa, by chance, do you know where Alex is on this record? Because it just says performer. Yes, he's he's on uh, 66. And perhaps it's fitting because to me, or it sounds to uh, my ear, like the closest Greg has ever gotten to writing a proper power pop song. Which is not to say that it is, just <laughs> the closest he's gotten. Um, let's get into it. Jay, do we want to do what we liked what we didn't like or do how do is that the best way to approach this since we're so familiar with this or should we do a track by track what do, what do we want to do here let's stick with the format but i think we'll we'll talk about all the a lot of the tracks okay tell me one thing you liked just one well the one yeah. of the reasons why i want to do this format because uh i know the record so well i found it hard to do track by track notes so i to just capture like got it okay big picture like what what about this still works for me um so i'm going to refer to this right i'm going to refer to a trilogy to me the three best wig songs or records are gentlemen black love in this like and they go together really well sonically there's an evolution there but it's pretty cohesive I think what works for me on this record is it's them at their most polished. I think both investment and also just sonically, but also from a songwriting standpoint, you know, six sixty six and something hot are both probably the poppiest songs that are in the catalog, at least up until this point of the band, you know, they, they sound like really polished, refined versions of, where they had been evolving to. I got your phone number, baby. I call you sometime. I think I might be out tonight. Maybe give you a ride. Cocktails for two. Time lovers, man. I want you so bad. I never walk the same the old But they don't lose the edge. I think that's what's really, to me, what still works really well about this is that while those songs, I think from a songwriting standpoint, and there's some production things that are, uh, I think, evolutions for them, it still has that, like, those riffs, those chunky riffs and funky guitars going on. It has that kind of wailing bed guitar from Rick McCollum. Sometimes here, though, it's replaced with, I think, horns a lot or organ and piano which you know they start to do more and more with black love as well but it's still got that like undercurrent to it to me that like for me defines the sound of the band um as much as it is uh duly songwriting and sort of their chemistry there's something about the element that he brings to the band that is still even though these songs are popular or some of them are he's I think Rick McCollum still finds a place here to kind of bring that like on the edge 
you know, kind of guitar approach and also some of the kind of atmospheric stuff that I think he brings to the band. Um, there's also a couple of songs in here that to me, like, sound like classic wig songs. So you've got like this, Hey, we're, you know, there's kind of a new direction. We're more polished. We've got some, you know, elements of it that are, you know, pull, calling back to the, throughout the catalog of the band. And then there's some straight up songs like the slide song just feels like that's just a classic wig song to me. Like it just sounds like them, you know, Rick McCall's McCollum's guitar. It's just unmistakable. Like that when I hear that song, it just takes me back. Like, I feel like I'm, I am in 1998. Um, Uptown again, I think is another good example of that cool mm -hmm. dragon guitar riff. So I'll kind of stop there. I think those are the things that like big picture it's this push and pull of like, Hey, we're this band that's evolving and, and trying to be, you know, refine our songwriting, but not losing who they are. That I think where this record really strikes a balance um, and it stands out in the catalog and sort of like a, a fitting end to the, this era of the band as well. Like it felt like they pushed it as far as they could without losing themselves. Um, so I, I was a bit, kind of at peace, I think, with this being the last record for a while. It felt like a good bookend in that way. So that's big picture, some of the stuff that works for me. What still works for you, Tim? So it's it's a hard thing to like like really kind of drill down on on this record. I think you mentioning it as a, as a part of a trilogy is probably the best way to approach it because I, I was comparing it sonically to Black Love and thinking about how happy chichester added a lot of like organ a lot of like very soulful organ parts and stuff whereas on this record it's a little bit more piano with like something hot and i realized the important how important new orleans is to this record if that if the black love is more gospel more soul this is more jazz this is I, you know i i learned about a lot of jazz by listening to this record and hearing Dooley talk about stuff that he was listening to like professor Longhair and these like old school jazz pianists that i had never listened to um but i can then hear how he's getting influenced by that for a song like something hot um or city soleil or or excuse me city soleil uh I give it the correct pronunciation it sort of sheds the, like you mentioned, the darkness that hovers over the previous two records. And it, there's, it's like a butterfly emerging from this cocoon of, it's just like, it's brash and, and loud and, and it's a party. I mean, this, this album is absolutely a party. And I remember them talking about when they released it, that when Dooley was sequencing it, like it sequenced like a seven, like a sixties or, or seventies Motown record. Like the hits are up front, boom, boom, boom. You're getting three, four minute long hit songs. I mean, something hot's barely three minutes. 66 is barely three and a half minutes. The first, you know, throughout the 23 seconds of sweet son of a bitch, but the first four songs, I mean, those are just four great singles, probably the best four opening tracks of, in terms of like memorable songs of any record they've ever done. I mean, Black Love has amazing songs in the first four, but like these are just so tight and so indicative of like 
I think what he was doing and then also where he wanted to go. I think in 66, you see where he wanted to go with like the Twilight Singers and, and incorporating drum loops and that kind of stuff. I mean, it wouldn't, it would all kind of sort of come back around to um, to the wigs in, in, in a lot of sense. But yeah, it's just, uh, it is hard to talk. It's, it's weird because it's like hard to talk about because it's like such, it's so ingrained other than just say, oh, it's awesome. Um, I did like also revisiting this. I forgot about, um, I didn't forget, but I mean, uh, remembering John the Baptist and the horn blowout at the end of that song. And then yeah. I was thinking about it in comparison to the time, like obviously nothing on the radio was what sounded like that. But then I right. thought like in the next year is when Kid A comes out and the national anthem has this horn uh, freak out as well it's a little bit different it's a little more experimental but I just for some reason connect those two songs because I hadn't really heard any horns in anything other than like yeah. campy like cake using a trumpet like right. there was no horns right. or anything or, or maybe like the alternative version of of uh hard to handle by the black crows like I think there's a, <laughs> a horn version so yeah. two, two bands using it yeah. was interesting. Yeah, I think up in that at that point when you heard them, they were like uh, playing the same. They would play the guitar riff on horns. <laughs> you'd be like, okay. Uh, you'd hear it like layered in or bad like keyboard horns. This is, you know, these are jazz musicians playing all over this record. It's a very different experience. Yes. Marissa, share with us what works for this record what works on this record for you well first of all i want to issue a very quick possible correction it might not be 66 that alex chilton is on it might be crazy it's one of the two uh -oh. that much I, that much i do know oh okay um but what i uh, i love about this record uh, i i really had to think about um you know s something like good or or distinct uh, to say, and it occurred to me that while all the Afghan Wigs albums are to me quite different from one another, this is different in a way that sets it apart even from the ones that preceded it. And what I settled on is that it's a courtship album. Uh, Gentlemen, Congregation, Black Love, those are all kind of post-mortem in a way. And with 1965, you get this sense that the night is still young, um, the possibilities are infinite, you know, there's no smoking wreckage uh, involved yet. And Are you saying this is his black eyed peas, uh, tonight's going to be, <laughs> it's, it's a come on. I mean, well, yeah, it, it, it to the extent that, you know, a, a, the first song on a, on an album is setting the tone for the rest of it and trying to tell you something about what it's going to say, uh, something hot says a lot. Um, so it, it, it does have this solicitous, exciting tone to it. And at the same time, it has a retrospective lens it's um it's a love letter to the music that that Greg grew up with. And um at least to to me, it's also the record that feels the most interested in understanding what's going on in the um woman's head. It's constantly theorizing about what she's feeling and thinking, uh what she really wants, um, instead of trying to figure out, you know, what went wrong or what's going to go wrong. It's got a really defiant optimism to it. Hmm. which is not to say that it doesn't have a dark side because I feel like all Wiggs albums do, 
but it's a darkness without any dread. There's just pure romanticism here. It's um, it's the Afghan Wigs album that comes the closest to playing like an R-rated urban fairy tale. So like if Gentleman is the grunge lit novel and Black Love is the 70s L.A. noir, then 1965 is the fairy tale fever dream. And it's so expansive and transportive to me in such a powerful way. One thing I noticed about this record, and I loved all those comments, and I, I, I want to see if you guys agree. I feel like this record from a sonic standpoint is the clearest I've ever heard the wigs. Like, I love Black Love, but there's a lot of layer to that album. And, and Gentlemen, the same way, certain songs get really big. And this is, I don't know if it was the change in studios. I don't know if it was the change in how they were recording or what have you, but there's just like a, something slightly different sonically going on with this record. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jay? Yeah, there's there's less distorted guitars. I mean, for one, not that they're not on here, but they're taking the guitar parts and they're breaking them up into like acoustics and some electric guitar and horns and organ and piano and background singers and God knows what else. So I think that's part of it because when you when you do that, I mean, you you run the risk of losing obviously edge and sort of that rock feel that you want but what you do gain is then you have a lot more control over like how the sound spectrum is used you know you can take a guitar chord on played through a distorted marshall amp which like can sound awesome but it's eating up a ton of like space in the spectrum you could also break that up and be like well part of that could be an acoustic guitar and a clean guitar and, and a horn and a piano part and like it would all occupy the same sonic space but you'd be able to hear it all so i think the trade-off there of like hey pull some guitar back and replace it with all of these other instruments i think is part of what makes it just clearer at the cost of you know i think compared to black love you get all these layers but most of the layers are like guitars on guitars on guitars on on top of maybe some organs mm -hmm. um which i love that sound it's its own like unique thing but this is very different it's more it's like a you know, putting together a jazz record or something, you know, the same way you it's, would think it's, about it's that. glossy and it, and it sparkles mm -hmm. in yeah. a way that the others don't. And to me, it's, it's almost a halfway point, uh, a, a bridge to the twilight singers in the way that it's packaging and presenting itself as well. There's uh, an, an embrace of drama in a way that's more, I think, um, it, it, it's it's a lot harder to deny. And, and it's funny, Tim, that you mentioned um, camp earlier with respect to cake, because at the risk of offering up something of a hot take here, I find the Afghan wigs to be a, a little bit campy mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of their uh, awareness of what they're doing, that reflexivity and that embrace of performance, of exaggeration, this like baroque heightening of emotionality and, and experience. And it's pulling that off, I believe intentionally, which if you ask uh, Susan Sontag is the most difficult kind there is to execute. So to me on that level, it's really cool. impressive. And I, I also just feel like um, a lot of critics and even a few fans are prone to interpretations of the Afghan wigs that fall back on a kind of literalism that I don't enjoy. And it's not that I don't love the darkness and the drugs and the sex and the lust and the sinister swagger and all that. Um, 
but sometimes it flattens out what I think is a really dimensional, sophisticated expression that is really aware of its own performance and the function of that performance. I mean, people love to talk about the glamour of this like macho caricature, um, but less so about how it's a construct or that underneath it, there's something pretty unglamorous, like an, an abjection, this, this vulnerability. And uh, that that performance is there to me, at least to like kind of insert some some distance. And I feel like he's embracing that mechanism in in this album in a way that he to an extent that he hasn't in previous installments, even though it's still there. Like here, it's just undeniable. Expanding on that with regards to the sonic sound of this record, one of the things I noticed, and this, this might be a uh, mix thing or it might be just or or what amps they were using or what have you it feels like his guitar playing is different do you know what i'm talking about in terms of on if you think about what he did there was a lot of like open note ringing mm-hmm. yeah and that's yeah. what gave you a lot of that like weird dark not necessarily darkness but like agitation almost because you'd have these like notes ringing out that were sometimes not exactly in key so it would create that tension uh, i'm thinking about like fountain and fairfax that darn darn da darn 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 like yeah and then he does the 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 little bippy part the doot do doot do, do. you think about like um uh not he's, what am he's I- even used it in um the Twilight Singers, not with a guitar, but with a ringing telephone. I mean, just these these tones that sort of repeat and right. are open and don't resolve. And this record, it's a lot of very like chunky chords, like something hot are big power chords. Uptown again is just like three power chords. There, there isn't a lot of that. Like there's a little bit that in John the Baptist. But he's they it seemed like they kind of changed the approach um guitar wise because it it doesn't have that weird tension that would go on between McCollum. And it's not necessarily that Rick McCollum is not playing as much. It's that Dooley's guitar is completely different in terms yeah. of he's not doing the thing that he would normally do with the upstrums and like didn't, didn't in it, didn't like yeah. there was that like also like a staccato nature to a lot of play of his playing like that's all different yeah that's why i call that slide song and uptown again because those two feel like guitar wise like in the ballpark of what they were doing before you know slide song you've got that call response where like he's basically like duetting with this off kilter like you know slide guitar that's got all these open notes and you know, there's this tension there. And Uptown, again, I think that kind of rhythmic, the riff in that is what you're describing to him that like really, you know, cool use of rhythm and playing on the back, playing off the, you know, drum on the backbeat.
But I agree with you. The the other riffs are like much cleaner and chunkier. That that anxious sort of open repeating tone though does I feel appear in crazy. It's Mm -hmm. it's in the background. Yeah. That that's that's where I I when when you mentioned that that's where I recognized it from when I was thinking of 1965. Got it. Yeah, I think on this record it's like. That tone is there. It's just not always guitar. Sometimes it'll be like a vocal. You know, there's a couple parts on here where there's just like a this droning vocal or uh, some kind of organ or some horn. There's all there. I think they still have that element in here. It's just they're replacing sometimes the guitar part. Yeah, the arrangement there on the previous record. Yeah, uh, this record has one of my favorite John Curley bass lines, which is Omerta. Um, it's such a simple bass part but it's got such a great groove and he doesn't always get to groove like he's a good bass player but a lot of the time he's dry he's it's a very driving bass um it's got a bit of a curtis mayfield vibe to it, doesn't it? it yes very much so and they were covering curtis mayfield around this time as well yeah. um i i know that there was some discussion about whether the back half is a little bit undercooked compared to the first half and i think i used to think that way but now i almost see it as like the flip side like because this came out on cd i didn't think of it as an a and a b even though this is a 45 you know a 40 or 41 minute record actually it fits so if you look at where the second half would start with john the baptist it actually makes for a pretty interesting second side um Obviously, there's a yeah, ton of lyrical, duly lyric parts that are like classic on this record as well. I gotta say, you know, people are very partial to uh, "Summer's Kiss." Um, mm-hmm. I, I find "Omerta" to be the best, or, or "Summer's Kiss" and "Faded," I should say. Um, "Omerta" is my favorite live show closer. I could see that. It's got a great outro. So yeah, which which is technically a, a whole other song. Um right. But it it it's it's so it hypnotic. It's it, it is the only I think duly penned album that has a happy ending, or at least pre-reunion wigs. Um everything else kind of ends on this uh, uh despairing sour note, but I, you'd be hard pressed to to convince me that um, that Omerta into the Vampire Lenoir isn't like a happily ever after, riding off into the night. Um, it, it it is it is as happily ever after as we get.
sob story to me Yeah If I'm on your mind again You must be tripping on some of that voodoo I've been throwing party never stopping exactly which can be happy and also sad yes as, as we now know in our older years um <laughs> the I, sequencing is something i i thought about quite a bit and um i appreciate it now i appreciate like the the approach of the front half of the record being tighter more concise and the second half kind of letting loose and they've got all these great musicians that they're bringing in and, and there's certainly large sections of the second half of the record where they just take advantage of that i think when i first you know a couple of years of listening to the record i was always thrown by that it always felt like the second half was just so different and maybe a bit of a drag because the songs are longer they tend to be slower they're slow builds but I think the more I've time I've sent with it, I've kind of come to appreciate that about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and are, just kind of take that, we... that second half as, you know, its own little statement, you know, it, mm -hmm. it feels like it's its own side, I think is the best way to, to say it. Are, are we pulling out, are we at the juncture where we're pulling out individual songs for analysis or, or are we waiting? Sure, yes. Because yeah, I, I, I was going to say, um, in, in addition to Omerta being my favorite on the back half, John the Baptist is unassailable. That just is so good, knocks it out of the park. Neglected, to me, is one of the best Afghan wig songs ever recorded. It and has some of the best lyrics. Yes, it, it, <laughs> it just, what, what that song does narratively and melodically is so impressive to me because it starts out in this really sleazy, sordid kind of, you know, the 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 premise of it strikes you initially as something that's a little, yeah, it it it's it's dirty. But then at the end of the song, and I forgive me, I'm I'm not a songwriter, so I don't know if this is a bridge. I guess it's actually a coda. There's this incredible transformation. And to me, the song reads as like two people who have both been injured by someone finding comfort in each other. And it, it, it could go in such a way where it was degrading. And certainly the way the song introduces itself, you might even be led to, to believe that but it actually turns this corner and becomes totally transcendent. It, it elevates itself into something that's just very powerful and divine. And I don't think that uh, gets talked about enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about it in terms of uh, trying to analyze the, I guess the relationships, but I've always thought of this as like, duly taking more like like you said like more of a universal approach not just from the guy's perspective of 
being shot down, but also from, I guess, both, both perspectives, or at least being more empathetic. Yeah, it's a, it's a remarkably tender song for something that's, uh, that's at the same time so raunchy. <laughs> yeah, as far as individual songs, one of the things that has amazed me about this record, or, or in particular, um, Uptown Again, is Steve Falsetti has got the perfect name for it. I think he holds this note during the chorus. He goes, baby, and he holds it yeah. for like the entire length of the chorus. And it is such a cool, just like, it's not an, it's not up front. It's not something that you're supposed to pay attention to, but it just carries the chorus. It's like floating on it. wondered if that was real or if that was like some kind of tape trick or whatever i don't i guess we had pro tools at the time or the pro tools to string that note out i'm i'm hope i'm hoping that was or sorry doug falsetti i said steve falsetti doug falsetti i mixed him up with steve ferrone yeah he's and he does uh there's a b-side called easily persuaded that um he sings uh falsetto on as well and it's pretty awesome but as far as um, individual songs, Jay, were, is there any songs that we didn't, weren't as, uh, you didn't warm to them? I know you mentioned stuff on the back half, but was there anything that like now you go, oh, okay, I see what didn't work for me before or, or what was go- really going on here? I think I've come to appreciate John the Baptist a lot more. It, uh, Wait, did you not like John the Baptist initially? I, no, I liked it. It just got, to me, it got lost in that second half of the record. Like, those songs all start to blend together to me. Uh, so I think now, also listening on CD, like, I wasn't always looking at the song titles. You just put it on and listen mm-hmm. to it, which is a totally different experience. Like, I, I find albums I love, when I listen to them CD, I don't always know the names of some of the songs. <laughs> that was the case with this second half of this record uh so i've come to really like that song a lot more i think like something like the vampire lenoir would be the other one where you know it's instrumental i think at first it was like kind of cool as like an as an ender but didn't love it but now i've i've sort of just come to appreciate like again them jamming a little bit and letting these moments happen being whipped up into a dionysian frenzy yeah 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 (laughs) dionysian um i want to note that the bass line for something hot that uh in the chorus doon 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 that's um 
got to be real by Sherilyn. That song. Um, meaning something hot and not the Sherilyn song. Uh, I was going through some old uh, publications like music industry publications, trying to dig up some more information on the recording of 1965. And I was only pseudo successful on a limited time frame. but it is a song that uh, apparently Greg at one point described as being fiscally responsible. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> Does that mean like it was, he thought it was going to be a hit? Or did, did I, that mean they recorded it really quickly? I I don't know. It's possible. I think he might have just been, you know, being kind of a, a wise guy. <laughs> right. This and was this was around the time uh, that he got hit in the head by the two before. Oh, that's right. Remember they were at a bar in Texas and they were, he was, was like got into an argument with the security and they hit him with a two by four in the cross the head. Was it while they were making this record or? I feel like they were touring this record. Or yeah, maybe I mean, it was. I, he was jumped in, in a in a bathroom, I think. I, I, I don't remember the details, but it was definitely around this time. Yeah. I just, I just remember because we were getting like little bits of information because obviously like Monty knew them. Monty was the guy who ran our practice yeah. space and he used to run sound for the wigs. And um, uh, I remember when we... <laughs> When we went to see the Twilight Singers, we tried to slip our CD to uh, to Monty because he was running sound. So he put it in Greg's bus, <laughs> which was embarrassing in retrospect. <laughs> uh, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record, Jay? I think we lose um, Sweet Son of a Bitch. That still makes me uncomfortable every time that comes on. It does. <laughs> And it doesn't transition very well to the song the either. I, uh, I once said I I had heard every and and this is true. I was like I've heard I've now heard every single Afghan wig song performed live, except for one. <laughs> <laughs> every, every single one on 1965 I've heard, but yeah, there's one glaring omission. Not sure how he how he could possibly recreate that. The uh, the only other thing I mean I kind of I already touched on this, but. You know, it did. It did make. It did take me a while to really absorb and appreciate the second half of the record. And I think, in hindsight, it's not because of any fault of the songs. And we've already talked about the sequencing, and like I've come to accept the sequencing and appreciate it for what it is. But I also wonder had this been released with a different sequencing, if it would have went down a little easier, or at least the um, the full record, as opposed to, you know, you you pop it in, like Tim, you said, like, boom, you get hit really quick with like, oh, wow, okay, they're, they're, writing, they're writing pop songs here. And then you flip it over and you're like, whoa, you know, <laughs> we just took a trip. We just took a boat down the Mississippi. We're headed to New Orleans. Um, and then you flip it back over and it's like, you know, tail two sides. So I, I don't know. I, I can't help but wonder what this experience of this record would have been with a little bit of different sequencing, maybe vary up some of the pop songs in the longer, uh, slower songs a bit more, if that wouldn't have helped it go down easier initially and not take me, you know, 30 years to appreciate it. Right. I'm going to be honest. 
I've never really cared for the slide song. That change it. up in the beat drives me nuts. <laughs> he switches from the to the back to the front of the beat. Yeah, for the chorus. It just rubs me the wrong way. It like totally throws off my nodding when that happens. Gotta be able and to nod along. Uh, that's just a faux pas I cannot let stand. Um, I I just don't think it's as, as strong a song as the rest of the record. Like it's the record is so strong. Like that's the one. Like it's it's fine. I mean, it's definitely an album track in that sense. Um, but I do like hearing, you know, Rick's slide playing. So. It's not like I'm gonna like fire that song out of the ex- out of existence, but that one doesn't do it for me. And and sweet son of a bitch is uncomfortable <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> I also want to i I don't know that his hip hop references have aged. Yeah, well. who's hot? Who's not? Who's hot? Who's not? Uh. And then there's also um. That's a little cringy. Isn't there? There's another one. I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. Yeah, it's At least Nas. That's what Nas say. But I love that. I think that he can sell that in the same way that you know he knows the devil and the boss and you know all these all these other lines that he's um, dispensed over the years that coming from anybody else would seem ridiculous, but from him, I I just believe it. Is there anything on this record that doesn't work for you, Marissa? Absolutely not. It's immaculately conceived um (laughs) truly truly is and uh it's funny you know new orleans yes it's it's got that stamped all over it but and this is probably just my own you know tri-state solipsism talking but for me it's the afghan wigs record that transposes the easily the easiest to a new york setting um city soleil i know is based off of uh an experience with a city cab driver and uh, for you, Tim, there's a brief mention of shuffling off to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, <laughs> always, if you mention Buffalo on an album like the Tragically Hip Do on uh, Fully Completely, you will be, and, and, and Dave Lee Roth as well mentioned Buffalo in a song, uh, you will be in my heart forever. Because uh, whenever my hometown gets a shout out, I definitely take note. Other than that, it's really not, there's, it still I, sounds I, good. I just, I know it's that's that's what's hard to criticize. It just sounds still sounds so good, like sonically. I I think that maybe it it's the Afghan Wigs record that is rewarded the most by a reappraisal right now, you know, where we sort of have a a much longer, more complete biphasic picture of the wigs, right? We have a pre-reunion wigs and a and a post-reunion wigs now. And Interestingly, I think the um, of the of the new incarnation of the Afghan wigs, the most recent one has been my favorite. How do you burn? And to me, it's the one that shares the most DNA with 1965. I can hear that because that was definitely in comparison, like sonically shares a lot of similarities. Um, Maybe not the opening track. That's it's a little too much of a barn burner for this record. Um, but definitely the rest of the record and, uh, yeah. Jay, did, have you gotten, have you listened to the new record at all? Nope. <laughs> I listened to, uh, the first single and I was like, sounds like Queens of the stone age. 
not what I want to hear from the Afghan wakes. No, thanks. I'll go back and listen to Black Love. You're missing out, man. The rest of it is yeah, it's, a cut it's, above. It's a weird um, opener and it's a weird, honestly, it's a weird song to have on there because it's completely unlike the rest of the record. Um, I still would like to hear Greg work with an outside producer that will push him a little harder on the choruses because I feel like he's, there's no something hot. There's no uptown again. There's no 66 in terms of choruses um, that I've been hearing. That's been the, that's been the toughest thing in terms of the reunion albums. I know when I went back and listened to the due to the beast, it was the same. Like there's some strong songs on there, but the choruses don't always hit. His songwriting has become, I feel, much more abstract and impressionistic as he's gotten older and I think become more mellowed out, you know? And to mm-hmm. me, that that is a good thing. I, I, I find it just as compelling in a different way. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the attraction to me with 1965, um, my, my, formal introduction to the Afghan wigs where, where it really, you know, took on and the, the sparks caught fire was that incredible, uh, his incredible capacity for, for real pop songwriting. He's got uh, a knack for it. And when he wants to deploy it, he, he can to right. really tremendous effect. And Jay, am, am I wrong? I thought when this came out, like we were kind of into it, but there was definitely a little bit like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't really the wigs anymore. Like what the wigs have gone like soft or the wigs of the wigs are, what are they trying to make a party record? Like, I remember there was a little bit of, yeah. Well, we we talked about earlier in the episode. I think there was, we still had a, I think um, some, some folks that were, especially in Ohio that were purists from the like sub pop Cincinnati days and like wanting that sound. And this not, goes back to not my... interested in this this evolution of the band at all. So right. yeah, this goes back to my thesis, right? This is this is the the most interested in the woman <laughs> and trying to get the woman and understand the woman. And um, you know, not for nothing when I'm at Afghan wig shows and I turn around and I look at those, you know, first few rows or even that first half of the audience, there's no shortage of women. And, and I don't think either it's as, as, as simple as, um, you know, uh, that the, the they're being wooed by, the, by these songs, in, literally, but there is something in the narrative, melodic, emotional space that's being opened up by these songs that it allows women to inhabit that subjectivity just as easily. And maybe I have a, a, a vested interest in, in this argument and putting forth this perspective. But um, I do think that the footwork you have to do as a woman listening to this album, there's less of it. It's so much easier to um, be seduced by it. And again, not in that literal sense, you can just surrender to the experience. Unchain your mind, become divine. It's, it's, inc- it, 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 it's, it's the, it's the best Wigs record to me because it is the platonic 
ideal of like, I think what they, that they were, they were like destined to make this album to me. And I, I think Tim, I've played this game with you before and maybe you too, Jay, that like, this is my favorite music related icebreaker game where if you have any musician or rock band of sufficient longevity and they've put out enough albums, you will have one record that's like the magnum opus where, you know, the critics or the fans, they all consider that one to be the best work, the masterpiece, and you will have the platonic ideal, which is a little bit harder to define, um, but it is like the, the band sounding the most like itself, the culmination of what it was trying to be, the pinnacle of its evolution, and for me, the platonic ideal is 1965, and the magnum opus is Black Love. Okay. So are we going to rank our, our, our trilogy? Well, I was thinking about this. Do we also include the new stuff, or are we just are no, we just talking just, about the? I just want to talk about the, the three records. Well, of the, well, well see, here's the thing. <laughs> I actually really do like Congregation. Like, no, Congregation's great. That was the second Wigs record I got. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so I don't I don't dismiss it as it's not up to what Gentleman is. I, I think it's very close to Gentleman, and it has some of my favorite Wig songs. But I'm Black Love first. That's um, that to me is the, and I can understand why people who heard Gentleman first would say no, it's not as good as Gentleman. It's not as focused as Gentleman. Um, there's some, you know, he takes some big bites on that one. There's some, <laughs> he goes he goes seventies film noir black exploitation. I mean, it's 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 a lot to tackle. Um, but I think this would 1965 would be second and then gentlemen would be third, but it's like 99%, 98.6%, 98.2%. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're not at. Yeah. 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 It's all. Yeah. We're splitting hairs. Very right. close. And I think what's fun about them is that when I listen to one, it makes me want to go listen to another one. You know, I kind of like it, it pushes you around of like, Oh, this is cool. They got here, but. Like, oh yeah, I want to go back and listen to Gentlemen to kind of hear more of like the, the genesis of these ideas or the middle. So I'm a, I like, I, I still have Black, one, Black Love number one. And I would have said Gentleman two, but I'm starting to lean more towards where you're at already, Tim, which is, you know, revisiting this record. Um, I'm enjoying it in different ways and maybe more than I thought I would. I was a little tired of this record. I think we just, I remember listening to it a ton. Mm -hmm. We were together, like our friends listened to it. Like it was just a big record for everybody. It hit at the right time. It just got played a lot. And I think I got a little exhausted from it. So as I would go back and spend time with the wigs, I would tend to go back to either Black Love or Gentleman. And I didn't go back to this one. But now that I have, I think I'm with a little bit of distance from it. I'm able to reappreciate some things that I got a little bit, played out for me and it might be it might be edged in there number two in my of the three okay that's why we do this show so we can reassess our assessments so marissa i know this is number one where do you how do you balance black love and gentlemen uh well i was going to say if i had to actually rank my top three it would be 1965 black love and how do you burn 
Oh. But, um, Whoa. I know. I'm I'm full of hot takes this evening. Uh, the, the thing about gentlemen is that I have to be in a very specific frame of mind to listen to it. It takes a lot out of me. Um, it, it's such a raw, visceral album. E even though my like ability to relate to it very directly is now so that, that that part of my life is very far removed, but it's still so intense that typically when I go back to it, I'm cherry picking songs as opposed to experiencing it as an album. When I sit down to play it as an album, I have to be ready to, um, you know, have my guts pulled out with a meat hook. Like it, it's, it's a lot. Whereas I think that the balancing act between um, revelry and debauchery or ecstasy and um, agony is is much more welcoming with a record like Black Love and 1965. 1965 is, you know, there, there's very little penumbra uh, there to, um, you know, lightness and and white space it's it's a very bright album for the wigs even black love the there's so much aesthetically and like stylistically there that's um i i don't know that it's designed to be uplifting but the effect of it for me is it, it has that effect on me i so and and in a way how do you burn is like a combination of those two it, it's got that darkness and emotional depth, that, that introspection that I associate the most with Black love, that like existential interrogation, you know, a lie of the truth, which one should I use? You know, there, there are motifs from free reunion wigs that reemerge in How Do You Burn? So there's, there is a continuity there. Um, I, I just, yeah, gentlemen for me, I adore the album. Um, I'm more of a songs person when I go back to it. And, and as such, if we're ranking full albums, my top three are, as of this moment, those three. That is subject to change. Okay. I, uh, I think this is a 1965 is also maybe, a, maybe the best place if you're not super familiar with the band to start totally i, I was mm -hmm. listening to uh i won't mention the podcast but another podcast where a guest came on and the host was like a kind of a power pop sort of fan and the guest was trying to get them into the wigs and the way that he was doing it he was walking him chronologically through the through the catalog no. <laughs> and by the time he got to congregation i could tell the host was just exhausted you know and you know they get through the albums we're talking about by the time we get to 1965 like the host started to perk up a little bit but i think he was just spent at that point you know it's just too they, dif too difficult and, I, and it just made me think like you know if if you're not super familiar with this band maybe you know the name whatever this might be a great place to start and then you can always work backwards and get more complex or go visit the newer stuff, which is a slightly different flavor musically, but like it's a good middle ground to get a feel for like the band and it's both um, 
maybe most um, soulful at times and also strongest pop songs. And uh, you can kind of gauge where you want to go from there. Uh, but I would argue this might be in the catalog, the best, best album for newbies to start with. Jay, mm-hmm. I was going to say that that at, at least at some point offline, you have to tell me who that person is because this is a person who <laughs> is on a Power Pop episode of a podcast or a Power Pop podcast and likes the Afghan wigs. I need to be introduced formally. <laughs> I'll tell you when we're, at, when we're off. You can listen to the episode. It'll be fun. You, okay. You'll probably be frustrated and be yelling, <laughs> yelling through the whole thing like I was, but. Well, our folks at Patreon, they were well this isn't a blowout this is more than a blowout it was 96 percent worthy album four percent better ep and a lot of votes like double or at least double the normal amount of votes we get for these polls these polls don't get as much as the tournament polls but there's uh yeah people came out they showed up for 1965 there was a lot of comments i was surprised i was surprised at how many because usually when we do these posts there's probably like four or five comments and i think this one has like i don't know like 17 or 18 comments so yeah i was i was glad to hear a couple that was like i wasn't sure about this band but like this record is hooking me a little bit yeah it's it's infectious it's it's pretty hard not to get roped in right off the bat yeah well thank you for bringing this to us marissa we wouldn't have brought it to ourselves so we needed someone to bring eventually (laughs) (laughs) there's so many like jay said there's so many records that you think oh we should have done that by now but we haven't so i'm glad we knocked this one out and i want to let people know at home if you would like to suggest something that you think is a, a gross oversight on our part, you can do so by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union. Every month we've got our tournament of death. 27 albums enter, one album leaves, three weeks of, uh, of nine albums per week, and then the final six or seven if there's a tie somewhere in there uh whittle it down every month and that's our patrons uh, voting for that as well as uh for roundtable topics and 80 or not 80s aughts episodes which uh we had a three-way tie for the next episode so gonna be have to do something about that fight to the death yeah how about we take the loser we'll make it opposite poll and since it was a three-way tie for first, we'll take the only one that didn't tie. <laughs> we'll flip the script on that one. Or we'll do all three for one episode. We'll just spend like 10 minutes on each album. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, if you want to suggest an album for one of our polls, go to digmeoutpodcast.com. Put it in our suggest an album form album name artist and leave us a little note while you're suggesting it it's also where you can sign up for the box newsletter comes out every weekend with a release calendar of 80s 90s and aughts relevant music books movies etc as well as two new reviews 
And lastly, if you like this podcast and enjoy hearing us talk every week to you and your ears, please consider, consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. I almost said iTunes uh, because it's 2005. <laughs> you finally did it. You broke it. You broke the habit. I broke. Uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.